Explore the night skies with our large range of high-quality telescopes. Whether you're a novice or an astronomy expert, we have the right telescope for you in our Australian Geographic e-store. Explore the whole range and find the right telescope for you today. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash shop. That's australiangeographic.com.au slash shop. G'day, I'm Liz Guinness and welcome to Talking Australia. Today I'm joined by Ian Morris, who's a teacher, biologist, conservationist, author and all-round incredible human being. Ian has spent the past 50-odd years living and working in East Arnhem Land and as you'll hear today, his passion for culture and people there is palpable. So join me today as Ian reveals the many gifts of this remarkable region of Australia. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss a second. And welcome back to part two of our conversation with Ian Morris. Here's the question, Ian, the, you know, the million dollar question. How do we, how do we get our, you know, our national parks authorities to take on board these these traditional ways how do we how do we manage that well i think um i think our our national parks federal and state legislations are out of date and i think they need to be really rewritten reanalyzed and rewritten to bring them up to the time now see we've got we've got animals in national parks that are disappearing going extinct but nobody can go near them and and um you can't enter from the outside and, and help or do anything so um, <clears throat> the message is not going into our classrooms. Our kids are not learning the meaning of of, um, of our natural systems and, and how to manage them. We, we, we really need to analyse our whole society again now and also have a darn good look at uh, what remains of the traditional management systems that were in place when we got here. Um, it's, it's almost a cultural arrogance we've suffered from um, and we need to, to readdress that. So there are lots of ways. I mean, I, I go in and out of uh, classrooms all the time talking about these things with the kids. Um, you can actually see it all around you and, and you can go out. It's, a lot of it's just common sense. But our, um, as I said, our, our uh, legislation stops us from interacting with, with native animals. We're not allowed to take them home as pets or anything like that. We're kind of divorced from the natural systems and so society doesn't see it as very important. Uh, these days like we should. Um, so I think we've, we've really got to have a pretty big uh, look at the whole system. Some of our NGOs, um, Australian Conservation Foundation, people like that, they're doing really good jobs. They're, they're doing it properly, but they're doing it privately. Uh, I think we could do it nationally if we put our hearts to it. Um, yeah. And I think we've got to start with our education systems. Um, yeah. I, I don't think we're teaching environmental education anywhere near the level that we should be. Um, to show the kids the importance of it all. Um, you know, as, as you said earlier, we live here, we've, we've got to live in this place and, and uh, the, the quality of life uh, where we live depends on, on how we manage our environment. So, uh, yeah, I think it'd be a great thing if we, if we reanalyse the whole system today. And so when you say you go into schools, obviously you're in Indigenous schools, but are you going into schools in Darwin, for instance, with, you know, uh, children 
who don't tra traditionally have this information passed on to them through their through their parents? Yes, I do um, all the yeah. time. In fact, I go into mainstream schools more these days uh, than the Indigenous schools. Um, uh -huh. But with that message, and uh, and often I'll go in with an Indigenous friend, and we'll do a sort of a joint approach or something like that. But um, I also have a uh, a bush camp outside Darwin where school groups come and stay and uh, we do do a lot of that and uh, I often will go and get one of my old Indigenous aunties to come down and be our, our lecturer for the day and take the class through the bush and show them the uh, the That's economic really plants that are growing all around us that we don't recognise and, and uh, get the kids back into enjoying the, the natural landscape. I think that's it, isn't it? Once they once they connect with it, once they see it, once they touch it, once they you know they smell it, it, it comes to life for them as opposed to sitting in a classroom and just hearing about it. Most definitely, and kids are really sensitive to that sort of thing. You know, they have mm. an experience with uh, um, an animal. The other day, we had a, a a group of people, and we came across a nephila spider, a golden orb spider, a great big spider the size of my hand. Um, yeah. And I was able to just very gently take this big female Nephila spider off her, her golden orb web and, and uh, put her on my, my shirt and she walked around on me for a while and the kids got brave and they all started holding and letting the spider climb over their back and, and, and uh, seeing that um, in, in nature, uh, if there's no fear in the equation, then, then, then you get a really amazing experience. And uh, these spiders are quite friendly anyway, they're scary looking things. But that was a good example to the kids that, that uh, if you have the right attitude when you're out in the bush, uh, you're not afraid of, of what might happen to you, but you're, you're fascinated by what's around you, um, then your experience is very different, very positive. Definitely, definitely. So it just sounds like there's so much to we can all learn um, and would, I'm sure most of our listeners would love to come and spend some time in Arnhem Land um, listening to you and, and walking through the bush with you. Um, so these cruises that you do, that's a, an opportunity for people to join to join in and learn that sort of stuff? Yes, definitely. Yeah, when, I, when I was young and living out in the communities in the bush, I used to think that tourism would come in and, and kill everything. Uh, I think the reverse today, um, and we've I've dealt with thousands of, of ordinary Aussie people who've who've come on these uh, these uh, expeditions we call them along the coastline, yep. and uh, then we're able to introduce them to all these things: the people themselves, the environment, the unique wildlife, um, and going out at night, you know, looking at crocodiles, doing their own thing, and being natural and 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 not scary, but but fascinating, and and so I really have enjoyed this. And uh, not only that, it's, it's brought lots of people, ordinary Aussies, into a whole new awareness and, and have made new friends. You know, today, you know, when you meet Indigenous people, you can exchange phone numbers and emails and things like that mm. and, uh, and carry on a friendship even remotely. And, and uh, it's also brought quite a bit of money into uh, these little bush communities that are otherwise welfare dependent. Our government has, has really set up our Indigenous communities now with control over them. And, and uh, it's very, very difficult for them to, to, uh, to actually earn a living in, in the true sense of the word. Whereas when, when these people come in, they want to interact with the people, they want to buy their arts and crafts and, and, and take back memories and actually hear them telling their own stories uh, face to face about life in general. And there's, there's a real hunger for this in, in Australian society today. And, um, as I said, I've, I've dealt with thousands and thousands of Aussies doing this now over the last 20 years, and it really excites me to think that, that uh, the 
the two sides can now appreciate each other in in a proper way. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to doing more of this sort of work on a bigger scale if I can. Oh, absolutely! Look, it sounds incredible. I'm as I imagine many of the people listening are completely envious that you get to spend so much time up there in (laughs) that incredible part of Australia. Um, So for people who, say, for instance, didn't want to do uh, take an expedition cruise, um, is there another way that it's accessible to them? Yes, uh, up here in the north now, most most communities, um, I'm just thinking of uh, places like Moanjum in the Kimberley where... The, the National Highway right around Australia goes right past the little community of Moanjum on the Gibb River Road. They have a wonderful art centre there. Um, the federal government helped them to, to build it and they've been able to, to pay it off and, and they now own it. And um, it, it displays the, uh, the traditions of the Kimberley because people in the Moanjum community actually come from all different clan groups all over the Kimberley region. And now they're able to kind of um, show the rest of the world who they are without getting their country wrecked. They don't need, you know, yeah. hotels and, and uh, double buses and things like that. They, people can actually meet them on their own terms. And then when from Moanjum, people can then, once they're sensitised, can go out into the more remote areas of the Kimberley and really appreciate what they're looking at, the art sites and so on. Um, so today I see... Uh, the beginnings of of uh, some really really good ways of introducing our non-indigenous population, the bulk of us, uh, to these wonderful indigenous people who managed this country for so long. Um, um, same with Arnhem Land. Now you can take tours which sensitise you to the people and the place um, across central Arnhem Land and way up to the little community of Nullaboy. Um, you can visit wonderful art centres along the way. Uh, Yurkala, uh, northeast Arnhem Land. They have an art centre there, Bukul Larangay Arts and Crafts Centre. It, it's world class, and and the artwork in there is absolutely stunning. Well, you as a tourist can 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 catch a bus um, up to that area, a tour bus, or you can drive. You get a permit and drive up there. Um, and I think what's happening now is people are more more excited about uh, who these people were and are and where it's all going and how they can help in a sort of a positive way. So tourism is actually um, done the right way, is beneficial and, and doing good things today, and, and I'm happy to be a part of that. Well, I guess that was one of my questions is how do we, you know, how do we, how do we best support Indigenous communities it's through buying the art and craft and, and um, I guess being a, you know, a sensitive, sustainable tourist, Yeah, yeah. Aboriginal people are very interpersonal. They like making friends. Um, and, and I say to these, uh, these uh, travellers who come with me, you know, if you buy some of their arts and crafts, um, f- for you, you're taking away a, a wonderful little souvenir that you can put in your house or give to your, your grandchildren. But to these people, you're, you're saying, we like you um, if you buy their, their arts and crafts. It, it's a step into their world and and it's it's a positive thing they like it um so i say to my tourists you know here's a great way to spend your holiday pay leave it behind in a community that really needs uh, the capital from it um but also you're you're saying to them you know we we like who you are and what you do and uh so i think there's a there's a whole new uh uh interface coming up in the future um 
so just, you know, moving forward in the next five to 10 years, how important do you think people like you are and the things that you do and environmental consultants are going to be in, in terms of, I guess, bridging a gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous um, culture and knowledge? Well, um, I've been amazed at, as I said earlier, the, the, the way in which people uh, embrace this today. Um, we get a, a, a boatload of uh, 100 passengers in Cairns and we sail around the, uh, the coastline of North Australia uh, to Darwin and Broome. And the level of, of enthusiasm about learning about uh, Indigenous Australians and, and how they manage this continent pre, in pre-European times, um, it just increases as you go along the coast. And by the time you get where you're going, people are hungry for more information. Um, on the Indigenous people, their languages, their history. Um, and, and we really enjoy going ashore and meeting groups in different places. Um, and so places like Maningrida and Goulburn Island um, got little, little groups. They all speak different languages. They all have different histories. And a lot of that is it comes out in their arts and their crafts. Um, and w when, you're, when you're there with those people, um, they're they're telling you a little bit about who they are through their their artwork and their craft work. They're actually they're they're manifesting. Their, Doing a little their... piece of themselves. Really, yeah, right? it's it's kind of nice. And you go away thinking this is not just retail. It's not just us buying something yeah. off of another bunch of people. It's two cultures kind of starting to merge, and it's it's really exciting stuff. So I, I'm encouraged by the way Australians are starting to do this. It's not cheap to do these trips. But it is amazing value for money if you've got that money to, to do it. And I really encourage people, if they've got any spare money, that's a great way to, to use it up. I often feel like when you when you take a trip like that, um, I was fortunate enough to go to Papua New Guinea and spend some time in, in some of the villages, remote villages there. And it's like they give a piece and you leave a piece of yourself um, with those people. And those interactions change you, I think, always for the better and often for life of the, your viewpoint. Uh, most, I imagine it would be definitely. similar heading into them. Yeah, into the yes. community. Uh, one thing that struck me when I was young was that I was uh, raised as a, as a little boy in Sydney uh, and I was told that if I was a good boy and towed the line and behaved myself in school and, and, and le learnt my lessons well, that I'd, I'd, I'd be able to grow up and, and uh, uh, get a bank account and, and, and buy a house and a car and get married and have three children. And mm. um, all these values that I was being taught... Um, were quite different to what I was being taught in Arnhem Land with the f Aboriginal families who looked after me. And I realised that I was being raised to be an individual, to stand on my own two feet in, in modern Western society. Mm. And that took me away from who these people really are. And they're the opposite. They were, they were being, their kids my age in Arnhem Land were being raised to realise that you're part of a, a clan group um, and you, you've proudly looked after this land for a long, long time. And if you're a good person, male or female, um, didn't matter. If you're a good person and, and, and did the right things that your clan demanded of you, then the world was a better place and, and, and you're helping everybody else around you. So there was these two different philosophies and I started to identify more with, uh, with the Arnhem Land Aboriginal philosophy than I did with my own one in Sydney. And I realised mm -hmm. that if I had their attitude uh, to life, I would be a lot closer to people. I'd meet a lot. I'd be keen to meet a lot more people and share and that sort of thing, rather than to be uh, an isolated individual in a, in a complex society. So, I'm really grateful that I had that experience early in life, and has really affected how I interact with other people now. 
and of course the product that I want to sell, just like the indigenous people, is is love for the land and and um, empathy with our land. We don't have empathy. We we take photos. We we kind of like it from a distance, you know, but we're not part of it. Whereas Aboriginal people are part of this country, Australia, and and that's how they feel. And uh, I I can identify with that now. Um, yeah. And I would like more non-Indigenous people to appreciate that fact. We'll be back with our conversation after this. We have a special offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $30 and save 33% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $30. Plus, you'll also receive exclusive benefits including 10% of all products purchased in our e-store. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia for our special offer. That's australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And as I said, um, I feel your passion dripping from every every word, which is, you know, wonderful. And I'm sure all our listeners will will feel it too. Um, speaking of our um, our listeners and our readers, we reached out on Instagram and asked people what they wanted to know um, from you. So if you've got a couple of minutes, we might just run through a few of them. Yep. Okay, so M. Reedy said, how do environmental professionals educate themselves better on Indigenous heritage? Well, uh, those that do do that, um, I'm sure if you are working in any particular area uh, or want to work in a particular area, I think the first thing to do would be, like their own courtesy, they will go and see see the uh, landowner and, and start from there. So uh, if you're going to work uh, anywhere where there are Indigenous people, um, you are definitely better off to uh, consult with them, meet them, mm-hmm. um, make friends, and then they will be able to feed you information at your level um, that'll make whatever it is you're doing uh, a whole lot richer. So. Um, I find this today when I go out into Arnhem Land, if I'm taking, say, a film crew out to film some aspect of natural history, um, I'll start with the traditional owners, wherever they are, go and sit down with them, tell them what we're thinking of doing, and uh, they just make the whole process so much richer because they they, they know it um, and they can feed you with their traditional information. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, it brings it alive for me. Otherwise, it's just science. It's just, it's just a job or whatever. Um, and uh, I, I think we can make our lives so much richer by linking up with traditional owners wherever we are. Absolutely. Um, so from Chloe Stevo asked, what did you study? Um, well, initially I was very interested in zoology. I, as a kid, I, uh, I loved animals. I, I had pet tiger snakes and death adders and things that I could nurse. And, and uh, I found out that, you know, a lot of the things in this world that we are scared of as modern humans actually have personalities that, that uh, can relate to humans. And uh, even uh, since then, I've been working with crocodiles, saltwater crocodiles. Five-metre crocodiles can come in and, and get to know you and, and not, not want to eat you. Um, mm. So it, it, it sounds weird, but uh, I, I believe, as Aboriginal people do, that you can relate to, to all these different animals and, and fear only ruins us. If, if we're scared, uh, we, we never learn of the, of the uh, personalities of the, uh, the animals that we're interested in. And uh, so 
Um, that doesn't mean you do dumb things with, with crocodiles and venomous snakes or anything. It, it just no. means that there's, <laughs> there, there's, there's more to it than we think and fear will stop us um, from having a good relationship with things. Um, and so that, that's one thing that I've really, really enjoyed um, learning from Aboriginal people and, and myself. Uh, and they taught me how to relate to animals in, in a different way. But going back to my training, um, I realised that, well, when I finished doing zoology, a couple of my Aboriginal mates said to me, so, so what did they teach you about, uh, about animals? And I explained a little bit about how I learned about vertebrate zoology and how it all works and marsupials. And, and they said, well, what will they teach you about plants? I said, oh, no, they didn't teach us about plants. This is zoology. And they said, well, it's not much good learning about animals if you don't understand plants. Mm. Um, and I thought, um, yeah, they're right. It is not We're much good. And I said, all right, you've got to teach me. And uh, they've spent about the next 10 years explaining all the relationships. Every animal has a whole range of plants that it's dependent on one way or another uh, and so on. And, uh, and then you realise that the saltwater crocodile doesn't interact with plants, uh, doesn't eat plants, but it, it needs plants. Uh, and then you look back through the food chain and you realise all the things that the crocodile eats, the fish uh, feed on, on algaes and, and aquatic plants and things. And Aboriginal people know all this. They, they know that that plant eventually leads to that crocodile. But we, we, don't, we don't have that aspect of, of science that are looking at ecology in that detail. They do. So, um, yeah, that's been beneficial to me. So I had to transfer my Western education uh, or mix it with a traditional education. Then it came alive for me. It's that connectedness, isn't it? Everything's connected. Mm, my word. So um, we have a question from... Bear with me here, Tristan CB2000, and uh, he or she asks, what is it like to be able to speak uh, those languages, those, those Indigenous languages? Well, it's kind of like a doorway. Uh, if you can sit and listen to an old man talking away about a particular subject, um, particularly something that's no longer available, uh, in his own language, he's comfortable, he's, uh, he's relaxed, and, and, uh, and you, you get a real insight into what it is that he's talking about. If he's got to translate it into English for, for me, um, I know I'm only going to get a, a small percentage of what he's really trying to say. And, and that has been our problem in, in Australia for the last 250 years. Um, we, we really aren't that good at, at um, translating. Um, but the la Aboriginal languages are very... Uh, they're not difficult. They're systematic, more than English. And uh, I, f I found uh, learning these languages was, was exciting. It wasn't just something I had to do. Um, it was giving me a whole new doorway into, a, into other people's minds. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, I encourage anybody who, who is able to do that. And by the way, the language uh, that, uh, that, that I learned first, Jambarpoingal language, it's available now at university. Um, and really? uh, you can do it online. Um, oh, it's far better face-to-face, -face, but you can do all the principles first and then come up and, and meet the people who speak it later. Um, so there are, there are ways of doing that today. Um, that, uh, um, and it's largely it. phonetic, I would think. Very phonetic, completely phonetic, yeah. yes. Okay. And they have a phonetic alphabet which, which works perfectly. So once you get on the track, you can, uh, you can work out by hearing a, a word spoken, you can write it down correctly. You can't do that with right. English. <laughs> no, I agree. English doesn't work that way. <laughs> and it's got all sorts of rules and exceptions to the rules, so yes. Exceptions to the rules, definitely. Yeah. 
Um, next question comes from Kristen of Earth, and she asks, what were your interests as a child? Um, well, it began very early. I, I started to have a fascination for, for plants and animals, and my poor mother, who was a, a suburban lady from Sydney and, and had no experience with nature um, outside of her sort of inner Sydney suburb, she was horrified to think she'd just given birth to a child that... that um, that had all these these uh, passions that she didn't sort of know about. And next door to our property in Sydney was a horse um, was being adjusted on a on a um, on a vacant block. And my mother kept losing me. I kept crawling out the door before I could walk. And, and one day she lost me and she ran around all over the place. And she realised I was next door and I was under this horse in the <laughs> shade of a horse. And she was terrified of the horse. And and when the horse uh, moved, I moved underneath and I stayed underneath the horse. And uh, she eventually had to ring my father at work to get him to come and rescue me. And he arrived home really? and roared, roared laughing. But I just found the company of the horse was was um, was great. I, I can just remember that. And then there are more and more stories. She she told me, look, you can you can have animals as pets, but you're not allowed to bring home snakes. And I thought, I wonder what's wrong with snakes. So I went down the bush <laughs> and found one, and I brought <laughs> I brought it home to her horror. I mean that's that's how my childhood started. I, I had this great passion for 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 animals mainly um, at that mm. stage. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Um, I could just imagine the, your mother's face when you brought a, a, a snake home. I can imagine the horror on her face. Oh my goodness! Oh, um, which... uh, I, I, we ended up taming all the possums in the neighbourhood so that they could all come and get patted and get a piece of uh, bread and jam or something and. And uh, and the the birds uh, would come down in flocks and and into our back suburban backyard and things. And I realised, you know, we had the ability to relate to these things, and that 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 still excites me. Hmm. It sounds a little like Doctor Doolittle, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the animal whisperer. Uh, I suppose it segues nicely into the next question from appreciating every presence. And you'll have to excuse my pronunciation of the the name of the python, um, but that. Um, Appreciating Every Presence asks, have you ever seen the Owen Pelly python? Is that the right pronunciation or am I? Indeed, oh, indeed. Yep. Owen Pelly uh -huh. python. It's a uh, uh, Gunwingo name is Nowaran, Nowaran. And Nowaran oh. is a very secretive, it could be Australia's longest snake. At, at the moment, the uh, the scrub python or amethystine python of Cape York is credited with being our, our longest snake. It goes up to seven metres plus. Um, well, this is a very similar snake to that, and the Aboriginal people in Arnhem Land, West Arnhem, where it lives, they tell me that it does get over seven metres. So it could well be Australia's biggest snake, but it's so secretive and nobody knows much about it. Now, I was very lucky because occasionally I would come across one crossing a road in Kakadu, um, and I would very carefully, because I was scared of snakes on the road getting run over, so I'd load it into my vehicle um, and drive it to the community of Gunbalanya or Owen Pelly, and there was an old lady and that snake was her dreaming. And I would say to her, I've got another one in the back of the car, another Noah run. Um, and, and she would hop in and we would drive it out uh, about another 30 kilometres to the dreaming site for that snake. Uh, and we would let it go away from the roads where it would get run over. Um, and uh, so I did that. I think probably half a dozen times with very large Owen Pelly pythons. Today they're very, very rare. We don't know quite why they, they're so rare, but their numbers certainly have, have gone down. Um, 
and a very good friend of mine is now breeding them here in Darwin um, to, uh, to supply zoos and, and wildlife parks and things so people can learn about them and appreciate them. But they are one of our rarest snakes. Uh, last question. Uh, and it comes from Liz E. 11. What is the best way to support Indigenous communities? Well, uh, good question. Uh, I think the best way to support Indigenous communities is, is to personalise it. So go there to start with. And whoever you are and whatever age you are, you'll meet people uh, who want to meet you and you'll make friends. They're very interpersonal people. And when Aboriginal people uh, establish a friendship, they expect it to be lifelong, not just how you're going and, and I live in Southern Australia and see you later, which is yep. the sort of people we are. Um, they, they are more closely linked with each other and, and therefore any Europeans and outside people who want to join in and become closely linked really get an amazing benefit. So um, you, can, you can support Aboriginal communities in many ways, but I think firstly make some friends in that community, then you'll find out ways that you can help. You can, I mean, I, I use my money to help Indigenous kids get an education that's not accessible to them where they are. So there are ways of improving uh, their access to education, the sort of education they like and they want. So I have a lot of fun doing that sort of thing. Um, health, um, there's, there's lots of ways you can help communities, community health, um, supporting them. Um, it depends who you are and what your skills are. Um, but I, I just know from being attached to these communities all my life that they really appreciate friends elsewhere who, who are good friends and who can help them in a practical way. And they can help you back too. I mean, they'll make you just as, as happy as you'll make them. But um, it, it's an interpersonal thing. So get personally involved um, and then you can support them in, in all sorts of ways that, that you have access to that they may not um, without going into all those details. That sounds like a, it's a wonderful way to start for sure. Um, so Ian, thank you very much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and um, having a little dip into the life, uh, your fascinating life up in Arnhem Land. Um, I hope that um, someday soon you'll come back and join us again on Talking Australia. Be my pleasure. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at Australian Geographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au slash Talking Australia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash Talking Australia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.